Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful for your being our Father, grateful for those in the past who have lived well, people of faith, grateful for fathers that you've given to us. As we interact with your word this morning, we want to be hearers. Doers of your word, Father, for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Father's Day is a good opportunity to discuss God as Father and make some applications to fathers and children. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, reading together verses 1 through 13. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 13. We'll make some comment on the context of the passage in a few moments. Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, a race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, Do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, We've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however... It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Just a couple of thought questions, not looking for an answer from you. Is there a parallel between discipline and maturity and faith? Why is it necessary for God's, or what is necessary for God's discipline to be effective? Will a child and teen who does not experience godly discipline by his or her father think he or she is an illegitimate child? Does easy living result in weak faith? Is there a parallel between children 
walking with God and fathers exercising godly discipline. Now, as you come to a portion of Scripture and we discuss it, context is very, very important. What happens before, what happens after. In Hebrews 1, 1 through chapter 10 and verse 18, Christ is presented as better than the angels, Moses, Aaron, Old Testament sacrifices. In chapter 10, not limited to chapter 10, but particularly in chapter 10, Christ once for all sacrifice is presented. Persevere, because Christ is better than. And one of the themes in Hebrews is perseverance. In chapter 11, we have the hall of faith, we would say, faithful people who walk with God, but they walk with God before Christ came to this earth, and they were faithful. If people before Christ walked faithfully with God, how much more should people after Christ be able to walk with God faithfully? Living by faith in the context involves a struggle with sin. Resisting the temptation to be unfaithful. When he says in chapter 12 and verse 1, the sin that so easily entangles, as you look at the context, the sin that so easily entangles seems to be a temptation to be unfaithful in the midst of walking with God. And we find an example in Abraham who's lifted, listed in chapter 11. He was tempted to be unfaithful. He had a child by Hagar. But God continued to work. We find Joseph, who is seeking to walk with God, was tempted by Mrs. Potiphar. Moses was tempted. He could have been or remained in Egypt. But he chose God's people. If the saints before Christ persevered by faith, how much more should we persevere since Christ is better than Aaron, Moses, the angels, and the sacrifices of the Old Testament? In the immediate context, it seems to communicate that there's a battle with sin. It's not due to one being indifferent and walking away from God. Rather, it's a battle from within or outward circumstances that would lure one from faith, thus obeying God. I think many times we read Hebrews 12 and say, boy, that person really drifted from God. God, get them, zap them, discipline them. But the flow of the context seems to be people who are walking with God, and as they walk with God, there's a temptation to get off the path. And God disciplines to keep them on path, to build character, to build strength within them. And the reason I say that, look at chapter 10 and verse 33. Some of you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. He's writing to encourage them to be faithful. They're being tempted to withdraw from Christ. And he says, be faithful. Yes, you're tempted when you're insulted and persecuted but be faithful. He says, you sympathize with those in prison and those in prison were not in prison because of wrongdoing. They're in prison because of their walk with God. 
And as they're sitting there in prison thinking, is this what you get for walking with God? Be a temptation to be unfaithful. In verse 34, we find that you sympathize with those in prison and joyfully accept accept the confiscation of your property because you know that you have better and lasting possessions. So some people's property was confiscated because they're believers in Christ. God, is this what I get for following you? God says, yeah, I'm disciplining you. Abraham, in his walk with God, was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac. God, I'm walking with you. Is this really faith? Must I really sacrifice my son? A temptation to be unfaithful. The battle is against the lure of sin, which pulls one from faithfulness to the Lord. And tied in with what I'm saying in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The people he's writing to, yes, they were struggling. They were being tempted to back off from trusting Christ. But he says, you have not yet shed your blood in your faith for Christ. Persevere. Be faithful. In 4 through 13, the author encourages us to see the Lord's discipline as coming from a loving father who desires for us to deal with temptation to sin so that we experience life, holiness, righteousness, and peace in our walk with him. God is a loving, gracious, compassionate, kind, wise father chooses to discipline us. When we hear the word discipline, when we hear the word punishment, probably many thoughts go through our mind, depending on your background. When you hear the words discipline and punishment, rebuke as coming from God, what goes through your mind? Well, he's out to get me. He's mad. He's angry. He's frustrated at me. He's cruel. He's a big pushover. Ah, he'll let this slide. Fear. He isn't good. Well, what did I do wrong this time? Not sure what goes through your mind when you think about God and his discipline and punishment. John Dawson, in a track entitled The Father Heart of God, says, and I quote Our Heavenly Father is at this very moment being slandered and misrepresented all over the world by man's cruelty and selfishness not only in the home, but in all forms of human government. His laws of love have been ignored, and our mangled hearts continue on in carrying out injustice to all those smaller and weaker than ourselves. What horror is God seeing at this moment? A bedroom door burst open. A small boy is slapped awake by a drunken and angry man in the middle of the night. The sprinklers are still on. It's a flood. I'll teach you, boy. The terrified child is beaten merciless by the dark, hawking shape of a man he calls Daddy. A 15-year-old prostitute with blank, empty eyes mechanically performs through a night of being degraded on Hollywood Boulevard. She doesn't care what happens to her. 
She hasn't felt clean since the night she was molested by her own father. A wounded generation stumbles through their youthful years, only to visit the same hurts on their children. Generation after generation it goes on. Is there no one to comfort us? Who will father the children of men? Whose arms are big enough for those, for all the lonely children of the world? Who weeps over our pains? Who will comfort us in our loneliness? Only God. A broken-hearted father who is rejected by little ones, he yearns to heal. Our problem is that we, like browbeaten puppy, shrink away from the one who assures us he will, be, will not be like other authorities in our lives. End of quote. What is God like as a father? In Hebrews 12 and verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. They're going through difficulty, but it's training, it's discipline. But he says, you've not shed your blood yet. They haven't died for their faith. And then he says, and have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. He says that in way of encouragement. He quotes from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Have you forgotten the word of encouragement? Now let's go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Again, context is important. The book of Proverbs can basically be summed up as saying it's a book that is full of wisdom. And the idea of wisdom is skill in living day by day. And at the beginning of Proverbs, Solomon says, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a discipline and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Solomon writes, here's how to be wise. Here's how to live skillfully. And it's in the book of Proverbs 3.11 that the writer of Hebrews is quoting in verses 11 and 12 of Proverbs. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke. And again, that's in the context of Solomon encouraging sons not to forget the teaching of dad. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, he delights in. A father disciplines his son or his daughter And he says, son, daughter, I delight in you. That's why I'm disciplining you. You go back to Hebrews now. 
And the writer of Hebrews is saying, be encouraged with the fact that when the Lord disciplines, it's because he delights in you, he loves you, he cares for you. I raised, Ruth and I raised four children. All four of them received discipline. But I didn't discipline the neighborhood kids because they're not mine. As the writer of Hebrews writes to people, he says, be encouraged. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. I want to define a few words. Discipline means to educate, to instruct, to admonish, to correct. It involves training. And the same Greek word is used throughout the passage, you know, as far as discipline. And the discipline in the context, again, does not seem to be due to willful Rebellion or willful sin. But rather, the discipline comes because one is trying to stay on track, but in the process of seeking to walk with God, there's a temptation to get off track. And God disciplines to bring back on track for the well-being of the one discipline. It's not out of anger. It's not out of frustration. But out of deep love and concern. Some of you remember being in school. And I don't know if you ever get called to the principal's office, but when you get called to the principal's office, what do you think? I'm in big trouble. If God is going to discipline us, we think we're in big trouble. God says, no, it's not that you're in big trouble. I see you drifting a little, and I want to bring you back on track. I love you. I care for you. That's the idea of discipline. Hardship is needed to stay on track in our world of easy, of ease, of prosperity, of sensuality. Consider chapter 11. Noah built an ark. Do you think during the 120 years that he built the ark, he said, God, it's never rained? What am I doing this for? And God says, I'll discipline you to bring you back on track to obedience. Abraham was tempted to wonder at a child by Hagar. But God, in chapter 17, brings him back on track in loving discipline. Joseph was sold as a slave. He spent time in prison because Mrs. Potiphar lied about him. And as you come to when his brothers come to Egypt, he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. During that prison time, Did he think, God, why? God brought him back on track. He disciplined him. Again, one of the men in Hebrews chapter 11. Israel is at the Red Sea. As recorded in 11, not in this detail. The Red Sea is in front of them. The Egyptian army is behind them. And they're tempted to moan and groan and complain. And God disciplines them and says, I love you. I want you to stay on track. Continue to follow me. Gideon is going to fight with 300 men, one of the individuals listed in chapter 11. A temptation. 
God, 300 men? God said, yes, I'm disciplining you. Listen to what is being said in camp. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Some translations have despise. Don't neglect it. Don't regard it slightly. Don't make light of it. As the Lord disciplines in love and concern, don't make light of it. Do not lose heart. Think about losing heart in the terms of discipline. Applied to sports. You have a football coach driving his team. When I say driving, I don't use that negatively. He says, now I want you to do 10 laps around the field. And then he runs a rigorous practice. Why is he doing that? Because of the game. So he says, guys, don't lose heart. There's a game. Don't lose heart. And here the writer says, don't lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. Rebuke means to lay bare, to expose, to show the heart. Until something is in the light, we tend to lose ground. You ever think about God disciplining Abraham? Abraham had a child by Hagar. And the next thing recorded in the scriptures in chapter 17, which happens years later after chapter 16, where God is saying, Abraham, I just want you to know that you drifted from the path in Hagar, and I want you to know that her son, Ishmael, is not the promised son. He's not angry. He doesn't say, you stupid idiot, Abraham, what'd you do that for? He comes to him and reaffirms, revealing himself with another name of God. What's he doing? He's saying, Abraham, you get off the path. I love you. I care for you. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. He showed Abraham his heart, a heart that was trying to trust in himself and fix it himself. Or think about Joseph. He's in prison because Mrs. Potiphar lied about him and he was doing right. And God says, Joseph, I want you to see your heart. I want you to trust me and me alone. I made a promise back there when you were with your father. Now the sun and moon will bow down to you and so on. But you've become a little negative while you're in prison. I'm not done with you yet. Discipline. We many times don't see what God sees, but hardship helps us to see our hearts and turn to God. The Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. The idea of punishment is pain, whip, 
chastise. And that's what it means. But it involves pain of some type. Pain shows us we can handle life. It keeps us on track. A couple of weeks ago, when I went to the doctor, he, in light of things I shared with him, he says, I want you to have a stress test. So I did the stress test. And I could tell during the stress test, the nurse was not happy. She said, how are you doing? I said, okay, I'm just huffing and puffing. I said, that I ran to miles this morning and she just kind of got an expression on her face. Get done, she said, the doctor will come in and talk to you. And the doctor said, well, you need to have a heart cath. I thought, here I am, I've jogged for years, I eat well, and so on. I count that as the Lord's discipline. What was he saying? Dan, you don't trust in your ability. You don't trust in your strength. I want you to bring intact, bring you back on track. It's me. I want you to trust me and me alone. It's not that I've sinned terrible or anything else. I'm just saying, I want you to be on track of trusting in me and me alone. Punishment. But we think a punishment is something terrible. Someone's angry. Someone's frustrated. And they're going to get us. That's not God's heart whatsoever. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. Hardship is the same Greek word as discipline. Endure it. Don't run from it. Stick with it. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Well, God doesn't discipline me. The writer says, then you're not God's son or daughter. Moreover, we have all had human fathers in verse 9 who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. And again, When we talk discipline, we are not talking an angry, frustrated God. Talking a God of love who cares and is concerned about our well-being. How much more should we submit? Yield to, accept, submit to the Father of our spirits and live. See, discipline, and we are submitting to it, is so that we may live. And live means to be possessed of vitality. A child that is disciplined tends to flourish. A child that is not disciplined tends not to flourish. You can read the statistics. You will find that crime is directly related to not having a physical father who disciplines. I'm not saying in every case, but... Most of the cases, statistics would say that 85% to 90% of those who go into a life of crime did not have a father who disciplined them. And I'm talking the type of discipline we're discussing this morning. So their life does not flourish. 
employee, rather, an employer who knows how to treat people, who corrects them with gentleness and firmness because a father who disciplined him with gentleness and love and concern, flourishing. Our our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us for good. That should be good, not God there. Good for profitable, for that which is advantageous to us. And then he goes on. That we may share in his holiness. The idea of holiness is separate from common use, to be pure. God's discipline is so that we may live and we participate in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Kids, we know that. But painful. Later on. Later on. Not immediately, but later on. What does it produce? A harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The idea of righteousness is fair and equitable in dealing. Justice sees things correctly and responds correctly. You ever stop to consider that a practical outworking of this is a young man who treats the girl he is dating with respect and honor and would not defile her before marriage. And that goes back to a father who disciplined him. So he knows how to live righteously and how to treat a gal and how to respond to her. Or an employer treating his employees fair and equitable because God has treated him fair and equitable in his discipline of him. And then he says it also produces peace, tranquility. The idea of peace is concord or harmony. It's a state of rest. It's well-being in contrast to evil in every form. It's prosperity. It's a calmness of soul. Stop and consider What happens in a home? The kids are squabbling. They're carrying on. And dad comes on the scene. And dad says, children, I don't know all that's happening here, but there's something out of whack. I'm going to discipline you. I want to bring you back on obedience to mom and to dad and to God. And he sits down with them and he talks to them and he reasons with them. He shows them scripture. And then whatever form the discipline takes. And you will find 99 out of of 100 times there becomes a peace. It just changes the dynamics for hours afterwards because the result of discipline is peace. So I mentioned earlier about my heart cath. 
I can remember laying there on, I don't know what you call it, gurney or bed or whatever, very calm, peaceful. Because I said, God, I accept this as discipline to keep me on track. This is good. There was a peace because I was not resisting. Why me, God? Why this at this point in time? I've taken care of my body. Just an acceptance of it. A believer who goes through trials and has no answers. But yet there's a tremendous peace because of trust. And then the writer of Scripture says, those who are trained by it. That comes from the gym. You know, the idea of being trained, accepting, sticking under it, and being developed and matured. I'll close with an example of a man that I know who has a heart for God. And over the years, he went through some tremendous difficulty. He lost a daughter to death. In his job setting, he went through some very, very deep trials. Had a number of surgeries. His wife has had, is currently going through some difficulty. But there's a righteousness about him. There's a peace about him. Why? He is submitted to the Lord's discipline. Through his daughter, it showed some things about his heart. Through the physical trials, it showed some other things about his heart. Through the difficulties his wife went through and the employment struggles, showed some things about his heart. God, I just want to be on track. Thanks for keeping me there. That's the Father heart of God. And it's that Father heart of God that provided Christ as a payment for our sin. And as we partake of communion in a few moments, remember communion, we reflect back on the Father heart of God that gave his Son to die, to rise from the dead, to ascend to his right hand so that we can have salvation, we can have forgiveness. It's the Father heart of God that provides daily cleansing for us when we struggle with sin or when we sin. It's the Father heart of God that gives strengthening day by day. It's the Father heart of God that says, you'll be with me in the future. So as we partake of the bread symbol and the cup symbol, remember the Father heart of God. Believer in Christ, more than welcome to partake of communion as the men come forward.